everybody and welcome to the Tuesday Toolbox meeting of Adult Children of Alcoholics in Cobble Hill, Brooklyn. My name is Anne. I'm a Tuesday Toolbox member and an adult child. We're recording our speakers every week because we're hoping others will benefit from hearing these stories from our members. We'd love to hear your comments and questions. Our email address is TuesdayToolboxACA at gmail.com. Also, please take a moment to rate our program on iTunes or Stitcher. It will help others find the podcast. Adult Children of Alcoholics is a 12-step program of recovery for people who grew up in an alcoholic or otherwise dysfunctional home. If you'd like to find a meeting in your area, go to adultchildren.org and click on Find a Meeting. This week, we're hearing from our friend Tom, who spoke on taking a blame-free look at his family upbringing. Please enjoy. Hi, I'm Tom. Hi, Tom. Um, so I'm a little self-conscious. Just to, I've shared many times at this at ACA meetings and Alana meetings and other related meetings, but never been recorded before, and that brought up some fear for me. And I was even thinking, you know didn't get a lot of sleep last night was I was traveling and you know I thought maybe I shouldn't do it but um, you know when I had time today I was also searching through the book you know for passages that I thought I could talk about and you know I found a lot about service and you know I, I think it's just important to show up and do service so I appreciate being asked to speak here and um, I know, by the way, these podcasts I listen to all the time. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, it's only fair that I try to give back. So, um, you know, so I'll try to make sense. Um, so the, the, the passage, you know, I just happened on it just now. I'm going to read it. It's on page 157, and it's within uh, step four, and it's titled Blameless, um, and having to do with the step four inventory. So I'll just read this, and then... Uh, I don't have anything planned to say, but hopefully I'll be inspired. So blameless, the key word to remember in working ACA's fourth step is blameless. ACA founder Tony A. believed that adult children should take a searching and blameless inventory of our parents because in essence we had become them. Tony believed that we internalized our parents. We had become them in thinking and action even if we took steps to be different. While we focused primarily on ourselves in step four, we have added an inventory of the family to the process. ACA believes that we cannot take a searching and fearless inventory if we leave out the family. Blame is not the purpose of step four or any of ACA's 12 steps. However, we can hold our parents and family accountable for their action and inaction. Blameless and accountability are the guideposts that steer us toward a balanced but searching inventory. We hold our family accountable by naming what happened to us without fear of being ridiculed or disbelieved. In step four, we name the threats, the hitting, the inappropriate touching, or whatever else might have happened to us. We talk to our sponsor, our spiritual advisor, about what happened in our childhood. We avoid blame because we are aware of the general, generational nature of family dysfunction. Our parents passed on the seeds of shame and fear given to them. They were once children without a choice. They survived as we survived. While some parents were obviously sadistic, sadistic or unrepentant, Others did the best they could. These parents made a conscious decision to raise their children differently than they were raised. Many of these parents abstained from alcohol, yet passed on problematic fear and shame just the same. 
Some of these well-meaning parents learned to say affirming statements of love and encouragement, yet they still transferred their own self-doubt and lack of self-love in large measures. Many of us are the adult children of these parents. We have acted out with addiction or another self-harming behavior, continuing the disease of family dysfunction. Non-drinking parents raised in an alcoholic home are essentially unrecovered adult children who unintentionally pass on family dysfunction. These parents are typically a dependent personality driven by the inside drugs of fear, excitement, or anxiety. This is para-alcoholism. It affects the children in the same manner that the alcoholic drinking does if it is present. This means that our non-drinking parents were dependent people driven by a hundred forms of fear and self-doubt. They projected their fear and anxiety onto us with the same damaging effect that alcoholic drinking can have on a child. They passed on addiction or unhealthy dependence without taking a drink. We avoid blaming the drinking parent as well. The alcoholic suffers from an incurable disease that progressively worsens. The alcoholic is very sick in, in body and mind. We cannot reach the level of spiritual growth that we are seeking by blaming sick people. Avoiding blame does not mean that we avoid being angry or disgusted. Many of us feel rage when we talk about the abuse and neglect in our homes. These are normal feelings for the abusive and unhealthy parenting we live through. We also avoid sinking into a victim mindset. This mindset can disqualify us from the emotional and spiritual gifts of ACA. If we learn to accurately name what happened to us rather than blaming others for what happened, we find the truer path to healing and self-forgiveness. There is power in naming the exact nature of our abandonment and shame. We move out of the victim role and claim our personal power by taking this path. Step four gives us a chance to identify what happened and transform our painful childhoods into our most valued asset. When we know what happened to us, we can help other adult children as no one else can including some of the most dedicated professionals and clergy. We can finally say with humility, this is what happened to me, this is my story, there is another way to live. Mm -hmm. We stress fairness with our parents while holding them accountable for another reason as well. Many of us working step four realize we have harmed our own children. We have passed on what was done to us. Many of us have changed our behavior and made amends. However, some of us could one day be the focus of an inventory of our own children arriving at the doors of ACA. This is another reason to take a blameless, yet fair, inventory of the family and parents. If we give fairness, we can hope for fairness. While we, look, while we look, will look at the general, generational nature of family dysfunction in step four, we must remember that the fourth step is our inventory. In ACA, we learn to face our denial and focus on ourselves. That means we will look at our parents' behavior in conjunction with our own behavior. We keep the focus on ourselves and on efforts to find clarity and be free of family dysfunction. We want to stop trying to heal our family of origin through our current relationships. We want to stop isolating and repeating the same pa patterns that bring about our worst fears of abandonment and self-hate. We want to reclaim our wholeness. While working step four in all of the ACA steps, we encourage you to nurture yourself. We must balance this probing look at our behavior with gentleness. We must protect our inner child, our true self, vigorously. At the same time, we cannot let discomfort or fear stop us from getting honest about our own behavior. Okay, um, so a few things come up for me. Um, I first started uh, going to Al-Anon meetings um, almost 20 years ago, and 
um, a meeting I would go to often, this guy, he would, he would share, and he would say this almost every time he shared, he would say, hurt people, hurt people. Um, and I just heard that so many times, and then gradually it started sinking in that, yeah, hurt people who've been hurt themselves, they're going to pass that hurt on to other people and probably to the people closest to them. You know, their, their children and their siblings and their spouses and their family members. Um, and that's what happens. You know, they hurt people don't, I don't think, consciously choose to hurt other people close to them. Um, and I also had to recognize in that that I'm, um, I have a lot of hurt myself. And I can think of many examples of hurting other people um, in, in different ways. I'm really grateful that I've found recovery and have been able to get some awareness of that and, and, and change with the help of this program and, this, and the tools of recovery and, and a higher power. Um, they also talked about you know, the, the drinking parent and the non-drinking parent. So um, my dad is my qualifier. He's a, both my parents, by the way, I just it's something that was coming up for me as I was reading this passage is I think they're both essentially good-hearted people. <laughs> Uh, and I think in my family there was love, but it was just so distorted, essentially by the alcoholism and a lot of other related behaviors, um, that it didn't feel like love. Um, you know, in some cases it was very smothering and and um, inappropriate, and in others it was you know there was a, a lot of abandonment and neglect. Um, yeah, and um, you know. The, uh, I try to remember a, a few things as, uh, you know, when, by the way, recovery in this program and other related programs is really a big part of my life. I go to several meetings a week, which is my way of working recovery, and, but I also talk to a lot of people who are also in recovery and, um, you know, have made some very authentic, deep, valuable friendships um, in recovery, and it's really changed my life um, in so many different ways, um, and I'm really grateful for that. But, um, you know, I often find myself saying, you know, uh, mainly about my dad that, you know, was um, much hurt as he caused the people around him. And he was, was definitely an alcoholic, but was like a big kid in many ways. He just liked having a good time too much and was like constantly looking for that. And it really, it got progressively worse. I mean, to the point that, I mean, he was drunk almost all the time. And it was just, I mean, it was really sad. Um, I've said this many times at meetings, I would not trade places with him for anything. <laughs> I can imagine the anguish and the emotional and psychic pain that he was going through. I had some um, sense of that towards the end of his life, some things he said. Uh, yeah, and I really, you know, I, he was a, uh, basically a good-hearted person, and um, there's a real sadness around that, and I do have, feel some, a lot of affection for him. He passed away uh, over 20 years ago um, from a heart attack, I mean, I think it's, it was clearly brought on by the, the abuse of his body through the heavy drinking he did over such a long time. Um, I also say my mom, um, she's 85 now, and um, I don't think she's ever taken a drop of alcohol. If she has, it's been literally a drop. She's more affected by alcohol than anyone I think I've ever met in my life. <laughs> This rampant, both my parents are from very large families, is rampant alcoholism on both sides. Um, and also I have to remember, like, this is where they came from. Um, you know, 
least in materially, they were from sort of uh, very similar backgrounds, but they, my mother's family is much more well-off. They, they were both born in the early 30s when times were very hard. Um, and my dad's upbringing, I think, was very harsh, like hand to mouth, essentially. Um, my mom also shared, you know, when she, years ago she was in the hospital, um, just waiting for a very serious surgery and, um, you know, contemplating her life and everything. And I, for whatever reason, she mentioned my grandmother, her mother, and she said she would push you away if you went to hug her. And I thought, well, that explains a lot. <laughs> I mean, that, I can only imagine. She didn't say it like she wasn't tearful or emotional, but I think that's just, it. I'm not blaming my grandmother either. I'm sure that came from somewhere. But yeah, that's not very affectionate at all. And, you know, there wasn't much, much affection in my family. I didn't feel that. Um, and, you know, I can feel some sympathy there too. And um, there's a lot of resentments in many ways, my resentments towards the non-drinking parent are much stronger, um, but you know I can, like this passage says, be honest and you know, and you know, recognize what happened and also its effect on me, and then you know focus on myself and what behaviors that created in me or thinking patterns that I can now change through this program. And um, I have worked the steps in this program, and it's very intense over a long period of time. Step four in this program is, you know, it's, thank you. Um, it's not easy to work, but it's very important. Um, and shared it with two trusted fellow travelers who have become very close to, who are very dear to me. Um, yeah, and then, the, you know, the, elsewhere in this book, it talks about being able to share things without judgment or ridicule and having support of people. And that was something new to me. You know, I didn't fully trust it when I was starting it. And then... Um, yeah, I mean, that's a huge thing, just to have someone listen and, and be empathetic and, and understand um, and not tell you what you should do or, you know, the, how you should feel, but just letting it be. So it, there's also a passage in here that talks about um, the victim mentality. So that is one of the, the attitudes that uh, my upbringing created in me. Um, I think I've said here before, you know, I always believed in a higher power, but it used to be like higher power is screwing me and is really good at it and it seems to enjoy it. And <laughs> that was my perspective. That is completely shifted now. I do feel like I'll be taken care of, you know, by higher power in the universe, whatever that is. I can't, you know, lately I've been using the term uh, just a loving spirit, which I like. Um, but I think in, to a certain extent, at least for me, I can't fully define it. But I do feel like things have really shifted for me and some things are going well. And there's a lot of areas of my life that, you know, where there's still a lot of emptiness. Um, but, you know, I, I've learned to trust like that's, well, I, I have a sponsor who often says, you're right where your higher power wants you to be. And that's difficult for me to accept sometimes. I feel like, well, I've been right where my higher power wants me to be for a long time now. It's like, <laughs> how long does he want me to be here? Um, or she, or how long does loving spirit want me to be here? Uh, and, um, you know, the sarcasm is another thing that I developed growing up in my home, and I've gradually tried to let go of that. Uh, but I also can recognize, yeah, well, that's the truth. Like, that means I need, there's some work I need to do. Um, 
And this, you know, the, the topic of this passage, blameless, you know, it's blameless towards our family and our parents in particular, but also blameless toward ourselves. Um, I've always been my biggest crit critic. You know, lots of passages in the book talk about the self-loathing that develops. And uh, I mean, I had so much self-loathing. Um, and I'm so grateful that that is gradually lifted. And, you know, I had attempts in the past when I was early in recovery, I deliberately would try to be the opposite of that, um, which doesn't really work. And it's just really not me. And the only way th um, past it is through it, essentially. And you have to feel to heal. And those slogans are helpful to remember. You really have to, at least for me, dive down and do this work and be true. And, and there's a lot of painful feelings. And I still feel like, you know, I have so much stored grief that I stuffed. Um, I really checked out and numbed out growing up and was really dissociated. Um, and gradually I'm, and it is a gradual process, I'm getting more in touch with my feelings. Um, yeah, um, I just have one minute left. So, um, yeah, there was something in here that really uh, struck me. Oh, yeah, our, our painful childhoods can be our most valued asset. So I don't, I'm not there yet. <laughs> Um, but I also, you know, I'm not like, you know, I wish things were different or why did this have to happen? You know, th those kinds of thoughts aren't completely gone, but they're much less strong than they used to be. I mean, I would just dwell um, on regrets and resentments from the past from decades ago and think like, if only I had done th this differently, I said this, my whole life would have been different, I would have been happy, and that's not the truth. <laughs> Uh, that's also a way f to avoid the, you know, dealing with real stuff and, you know, processing the pain, focusing or blaming someone else for what they, how they treated me or what they did or, or didn't do. Um, I do feel like, you know, my painful childhood it certainly is an asset, you know, it's made me a much more empathetic person. Um, you know, I think in the past I, I just lived in that, oh, like my life should have been this way and it just, someone just didn't get the instructions and, you know, and now I'm stuck in this really difficult existence. Uh, I don't feel that way anymore. I've often read and heard, you know, things could not have been any different. And it's also helpful to do this inventory and realize, you know, I, I was going to say I don't, didn't have a chance, but that's not the truth because that seems so fatalistic. And I've been stuck in that place in the past too, where like there's nothing I can do. I'm just a victim of fate and this is my lot in life. Uh, things couldn't have been any different. And that means like I have all this stuff that I need to work on. And there is, you know, uh, I wouldn't have developed these real deep, authentic friendships and learned so much about myself unless I had all this, these painful experiences that I needed to work on. So I am grateful for that. And, you know, at some point, maybe I will feel like it's my most valued asset. So with that, I'll close. Thank you. Thank you.